But luckily, uh, Isabella is uh, off to see our northern Riviera, which will take her several weeks. Yes, Brian has kindly offered to show me the wondrous seaside towns of the north. Mm. And they are wondrous. Uh, well, uh, hang on. I thought you'd be travelling solo. Don't be ridiculous. You are my guide, my inspiration. And the first stop is the Paris of the North, Southport. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 259 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that was really warming to Beck as a fun new character until the show decided to have our shoot hoops on a University of Michigan shirt. Go green. I'm Gavin. And go white. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> go white as in the Michigan State University um, Spartans. I'm, I'm not saying go white as in oh, go yes. white people. Yes, let's, let's back all the way away from right, that. Right, yes. A, a, a timely distinction Thank you Helen Yes How are you today? I'm alright I'm alright Got back into the swing of things When we got back from our bobs. trip And I worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday But you took the whole week off I've got like Cheeky eight, mare I've got eight weeks of vacation time to take You have more vacation time than anyone in America Except the president I know We have got a new member of the team that started in January Mm-hmm and she gets 16 days of PTO, plus mm-hmm. plus her federal holidays right, and, yes. and stuff, but 16 days. Uh-huh. And normally gets seven weeks. Right. And I carried forward two weeks from last year. Right. So I had nine weeks of vacation <laughs> time to take this, this year. Which is considerably more than 16 days. Well, right. <laughs> this is why she hates me. Oh, she doesn't hate you. I don't think so. <laughs> It's hard to tell. <laughs> um, so I'm just trying to use this up as best I can. But right. here we are, halfway through the year, and I've only used two weeks. Mm-hmm. I've got the week off for my 50th. And I've got a week off at Christmas. Oh, which, t- which we always take. You took a whole week for your 50th. Good to know. I'm, I might as well. <laughs> so I can just stay in bed for a week and feel sorry for myself well no but yeah so when we were away for like half the week i thought I might as well just take the rest of the week off so that's I've, a good idea i've been kind of lazy for the last few days it's, mm-hmm. it's been it's been all right it's gone in so quickly yeah because we left we recorded the podcast on friday i sat up editing it until two o'clock in the morning and then I was up at 7 o'clock in the morning and we were on the road before 9 o'clock. So it's been it's been an old whistle-stop tour of the, the northeast. But Yes, we finally got to see the Adamses. We did. Finally. Regular, regular listeners will know that we collect dead presidents. Yes. In a perfectly legal way. Yes. There's no grave robbing involved here. No, no. We are, we are merely there to, to witness... To witness that they are still dead. Yeah. 
So we've got the graveyard and the final resting places of former presidents of the United States, and right. we've been to now 35 of them. Yes. I think there's only another four outstanding. Well, Correct at time of going to press. Yeah, Nixon, Reagan, and Eisenhower. Who else are we... Oh, Bush. And, and Bush, because he had the bad grace to die after we'd gone to Texas. But the town of Quincy, Massachusetts, has two of them. John Adams and John Quincy Adams Correct His son And we've been to the United First Parish Church in Quincy, Massachusetts On at least two occasions in the past When yes. it's been closed Right Because we keep trying at Christmas six time six years Yeah So we got there this year It was open We met the tour guide outside And I told her this story Like We've right. been here like twice before To see the the graves of the Adamses Because we collect dead presents right. you'd have thought that she would have been remotely interested and she wasn't at all no she was a little interested she was like oh no and then when she found out that we we would come at christmas time she's like oh yeah we're never open then she was so bostonian i i mean i grew up on the east coast in new england and that has to be one of the most bostonian accents i have ever heard in my entire life. She was throwing tea into the harbour. Left and right. <laughs> uncontrollably so. Constantly parking the car in Harvard Yard. And eating beans, which explained the smell. <laughs> she was delightful. She was a delight. She was absolutely... And she knew so much about that church. You know, and the things she didn't know, she was willing to say, I'm not sure about that. Mm -hmm. And you got to enlighten her about something. About the about Braintree. About the origin of Braintree. There's a Braintree in Massachusetts and somebody asked why it was called Braintree and I said I think it's probably named after the Braintree that's in Essex. And they thought that Braintree maybe meant uh, something to do with it being on the, on on the, the water. river or something like that. Yeah. I, I couldn't help them in that part of it, but I knew that there was a Braintree in England. So yeah. as is the case with a lot of New England they take the names of cities and towns that are in... Old England. Old England and just throw them on the board and say, right. this is called Braintree now. Right. This is called Cambridge. Right. This is called Boston. Yes. So... Yes. In fact, we have friends who live in the Old England Boston and the New England Boston. And there we go. Yeah, so it was good. Yeah, good trip. Yeah, and good then trip. we went to see Millard Fillmore in Buffalo who we didn't get to see at Christmas time because he was under five feet of snow. Snowmageddon? Snowmageddon. I think that was Snowmageddon. Snowmageddon 2022. Again, regular listeners may remember our Snowmageddon trip. Yes. So yeah, so that was our trip. And then we're back. And then we're going to talk about Coronation Street. And uh, do you know what? It wasn't worth coming home for. But I guess we will... Oh, no. I guess we'll get into it. Well, yes, because Bax is a Michigan fan. <laughs> it just ruined the whole whole week for us. Yeah. Why was Tyrone not wearing his MSU shirt at the same time? Seriously. Shall we dive in, Medea? <laughs> yes, please. Give us some of that collegiate Cody news. Apparently... Rob Mallard has a secret admirer who has sent a Valentine's Day card to him unsigned for seven years, and he is desperate to find out who this person is. It'll be his mum. He finds it charming. And I say, Rob, maybe it's time to add another lock to your front door. Oh, mums do things like that, don't they? Creepy as fuck. Do you think so? That's delightful. That he gets, he gets a Valentine's Day card from the same mysterious person. Every year? Well, I'm wondering how he knows it's the same. 
Well, apparently the handwriting is the same. Oh, so it's not completely blank. No. No. There is handwriting on it. And you'd assume that he knows his mom's handwriting. One would hope. So that means it's probably not his mom. Yeah. So, so then it's less charming. Right. And more creepy. I guess. This happens to a woman. A woman says, I am creeped out and I'm going to move and change my address and not publicize it. Well, his mom it should. Happens, well, no, but it's his mom. It happens to a man. He finds it charming and wants to find out who it is. <laughs> this is the difference between men and women. Daisy isn't the only one taking a break from social media. Charlotte Jordan, who plays the character, has done so as well due to nasty people who can't tell the difference between fact and fiction, giving her hateful abuse on the interwebs. Seriously, everyone, a fuck off. (laughs) Fuck all the way off. You leave Chuck alone. It's remarkable how how people still don't get that. (laughs) I remember my mom used to be like a huge fan of Denzel Washington until he played that that character, the the cop with 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 Ethan Hawke. What's the name of that movie? I can't remember the name of the movie. But he's like a dirty cop, and like afterwards, she's like, "I just, I can't look at him anymore. I can't believe he would do those things." And it's like, it's not him. He's <laughs> he's playing a character. It's not real. Right. And apparently, this happens to soap people who are on soaps more than any other kind of actor. Yeah, I thought so. Which is just insane. And finally, while her character Bernie Winter struggles with grief over Paul's motor neuron disease, Jane Hazelgrove has shared that she herself, at the same time, has been in grief in real life over the loss of her father. We oh, offer no. her con- our condolences to her and the whole family. Oh, and, sweet shame. You know, yeah. And 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 you've got to think that one kind of informs the other but it's also got to be extremely difficult at you know just not tearing up all of the time mm. i would be tearing up all of the time probably for every second that the camera isn't rolling yeah absolutely hmm. well, so, that's a shame yes condolences indeed absolutely and that is cory news that's cory news let's see what is in the old mailbag as we state Everyone's a critic. It's the YouTubes. I tried to get AI to write a little sting. Uh, AI's terrible at that kind of shit. It really isn't very good at it, so we're stuck with that for the time being. Yay! We got a message from Gail in Canada this week. Gavin and Helen, I love the fact that you have the Pride flag on your podcast photo. My son will be marching in the Toronto Pride Parade on Sunday. I am continuing to enjoy your podcast. Just finished the one where Billy learns how ill Paul is. Like you guys, I found the scene in the courtroom heartbreaking. Take care from Gail in Canada. Thank you very much, Gail. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, we still live in a world occasionally where someone has to call out the fact that we changed the colours on our social media photograph. Right. To the rainbow. To rainbow colours. Someone yeah. has to call that out negatively for some reason. Right. It's just... Fuck off! <laughs> just not sure why it causes such outrage. At, right. And like a, a Rainbows set, are pretty and hopeful. I realise that the changing of a logo is next to nothing in the grand scheme of things. But right. I grew up at a time and with other kids in school who 
had to grow up not being their full selves and not being their true selves. And yes. if we can show at least a little bit of support to them for a month and a year, I don't see what the big deal is. Right, yeah. It's funny, um, especially since you mentioned AI. Somebody posted on Facebook an AI of Freddie Mercury if he had lived at a, at a Pride event. Right. And somebody objected to it and said... Freddie was very was very private about his sexuality and his relationships and everything. I don't he was think private about his sexuality. Really? <laughs> did, I, did you see the man? I don't think he would ever have been at. You know, he wouldn't have gone to a pride event. Every concert was a pride event. <laughs> and somebody said, you know, he he was maybe a little private because it was the seventies, mm-hmm. and you could and still it was illegal. Be, yeah. You could still be arrested for being gay. So maybe now when maybe now he of all people would be celebrating the fact that you can be so open now, you know, even though stupid governments and people want to shove everyone back in the closet. Oh, that's people for you. Yeah. Apparently, apparently there is now outrage back in the old country about furries. Did you see that? I only found out what a furry was. Actually, live on this podcast, if yes. you remember. Yes. Yes. Apparently, apparently, kids wearing cat ear headbands are now furries. And what do we do about furries in school? It's like ignore it. Fuck off. <laughs> that's the third time I've had to say that on the podcast this tonight, Ed. Oh, you won't be the only one that's counting. Mm. Anyway, feedback is always welcome. Apologies. To Ian Les, Paul's wife. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com and our DMs are always open at Cory Podcast. And now let's see who we have to thank this week on Will Podcast for Coffee. Thank you last week again. <laughs> To Anonymous of Manitoba. Oh, Anonymous of Manitoba. Manitoba, that's a place we haven't been yet. It's very rare for me to flash the cash to randomers, as David Platt might say, but your worthy cause made me dig deep. The Ko-Fi site reacted rather like Arkwright's Till in Open All Hours, which I'm sure is a reference that you don't get, Ellen. No. It snatched the cash in Canadian dollars, I may add, before I had a chance to tell the whole world what a really warm, caring human being I am, despite appearances. <laughs> oh well, it's nice to do good by stealth, I always say. Ian Leslie Paul. That's Ian Les Paul of Canada Land. Yes, him, Ian Paul, the generous Canadian listener. He was your anonymous donor. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's the second time we've mentioned Ian Les Paul this week. I I am thinking that we are making this podcast (laughs) exclusively for Ian Les Paul and his disinterested wife. Do we know her name? Because I kind of feel bad just calling her Ian Les Paul's wife. Ian, let us know what your wife's name is, please, so I can refer to her directly. Yes, let's extend this. (laughs) Let's extend this further. And... And remember, Gail's also listening, but just a couple of weeks behind. Ah, okay. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of every episode and for the remainder of this month, all the money that we raise through donations and memberships, we will be doubling and sending to 
uh, Motor Neuron Disease Association. Yes. And you can always support the podcast and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Chocolate Finger. Well, if you insist. <laughs> That's right. This was Sally and Tim's <laughs> confusion that the donkey sanctuary woman was actually their sex therapist. And Tim tried to defuse the situation by offering her a chocolate finger. <laughs> but May- not like maybe that. Maybe like that. <laughs> I was Gavin and you had a uterus. I do. I still do. Yep. Not afraid I to use it. still have one. You were back from your trip out east and saw Dum Dum Gum Gum, whatever that is. Yes. That, that it's the Easter Island statue in the Museum of Natural History, as seen in the movie Night at the Museum, starring Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. I was very jelly off your trip to Manhattan in the wee British racing green mini. We saw Lightyear at around about the same time, 800 miles apart. Max goes for a haircut and ends up getting an unusual request from Sonia. After Cathy's departure, Evelyn becomes worried that Brian might get all alpha male with Jim Fizz. Wendy is drawn to Coronation Street by Abby and comes face to face with an old adversary. Oh, remember Wendy? Yeah. Following a trip to Dr. Gadas, Tim and Sally prepare to take their issues to a private sex therapist who may or may not also run a donkey sanctuary. <laughs> Maria's latest environmental initiative Either causes... Either way, she's into ass. Causes, oh, very well done. Causes outrage on the street <laughs> when the Weatherfield bin men go on strike to protest. Peter becomes increasingly obsessed with trapping Dr. Thorne and getting justice. Oh, he attempts at trapping Dr. Dr. Thorne Thorn. quite amusing. Eileen enlists Todd in her attempts to get George to put his unpleasant past with Frank behind him. Audrey's drinking continues to spiral out of control with Gail's concerns falling on deaf ears. David isn't a Dave. Gary unwittingly donates to donkey charities. And Kev isn't great with faces. Our moment of the week was Tim and Sally cracking each other up by looking into each other's <laughs> eyes longingly. And our moment of the week was Max refusing to have one single redeemable feature. Wait, wait. That's not our moment. Of, that was our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Yes. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Still no word from me undies or the ball-shaving people. Get anyway. back to us, ball-shaving people. We've decided our oh, no, answer no, no, is no, no, yes. no, 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 no. Let's play, let's play a little hard to get here. Our first storyline <laughs> is the Crystal Maze. On Monday. <laughs> Jenny is wanting to increase the profile of the pub on social media and wants Daisy to be social media manager. But Daisy is still taking a break from being a fantastic influencer, let's not forget. Mm-hmm. Conversation moves to Ryan as Daniel comes in and Daisy awkwardly confesses that she hasn't seen him in a bit because he refuses to see her. He must be gutted, says Jenny, to learn that Crystal was really just in, in a frock. In the roles, Daniel is meeting with Max for some reason. In comes Carla. All right, Bob Bags, she says. Yes. And she announces that Ryan has stopped therapy and he's barely leaving his room these days, never mind the flat. Despite Daisy and the viewing millions shouting at Daniel to leave well alone last week, he yeah. decides to go around to see Ryan to see if he can cheer him up. Right. Yeah, Daniel and Max are friends now. 
It's all in the past. Well, because he was his teacher and on the inside. So now they're friends and he gave him a phone. So now they're friends. <laughs> give him more than one phone. And also because plot of something that's going to happen later. Right. Daniel checks to see how Ryan is doing. Ryan doesn't need no good Samaritans knowing that this is Carla's doing. But Daniel pushes his way in at the flat anyway and demands a cup of tea. This is supposed to help. Right. Daniel seems to think he's Ryan's friend and wants Ryan to be better. Ryan, though, is very conscious of his scars and is super down now that Crystal wasn't really Crystal and it was all a sham. Daniel tells him that he needs to get his head sorted and suggests that he speaks with Daisy because that'll help. Mm. It all gets a bit awkward, so Daniel wants to know what happened between the two of them because they're not speaking anymore. Right. Ryan says that seeing Daisy just made the Crystal thing seem worse. Daniel thinks Daisy is the one person who can understand him and she's been withdrawn too since she stopped seeing him so maybe they can help each other out. Yeah. Sure. So Daniel goes back to Rovers and announces that he's seen Ryan and told him to see Daisy and Ryan agreed. Thank you so much for interfering, says Daisy. Mm -hmm. So she goes to see Ryan and they cover the same ground about Ryan not wanting to go out and so they sit down and they watch some daytime TV in silence and drink lager from the can. Eventually, though, after watching 15 episodes of Pointless, that sounds like my Christmas, back to back, <laughs> Ryan opens up about how lonely he's feeling. She apologizes, seriously. Your mum with that game show channel. <laughs> oh, Gavin, there's a British show on. You'll like this. This is Pointless. Yeah, I've seen it. And I've actually seen this episode. Yeah, let's watch this for three hours. She's trying to be nice hmm. and relatable. Would you rather she just turn on Fox News and refuse to take it off? She doesn't do that when we're there. It's true. She does it around our kids, though, and I don't approve. <laughs> Ryan opens up about how lonely he's feeling. She apologizes for kissing him, but insists it wasn't out of pity. Ryan admits that he wanted to kiss her, too, and he still does. So that's what they do. Aye. And they're only interrupted when Carla barges in, and they quickly pretend that nothing was happening. And says... All right, ball bags. <laughs> that's right. Carla is thrilled that Ryan has finally seen some other people, but Daisy quickly makes her excuses and leaves, encouraging Ryan to go out and forget about Crystal. So Ryan reads what I think was the hidden message, and he and Carla go out to speed dial. He's worried about seeing Alia because he was nastier to the last time they spoke. Yes. But Carla reminds him that he was traumatised and she'd not long been blown up and stabbed, so has probably right. forgotten all about it. Ryan is quick to put his hoodie up, but Carla tells him to grow a pair, so he does, and he yes. keeps his hoodie down. Grow a pair of, well, not a pair of ball bags. No, that would be, <laughs> that would be disturbing. One would be superfluous. <laughs> Meanwhile, four balls. Oof. Imagine how heavy your pants would be. They'd have to be reinforced in some way. <laughs> the chafing that would occur. Because would they aye. be four in a line, or would it be two by two? I guess it depends on how the ball bags are arranged, doesn't it? I would imagine two by two instead of in a line. Because that, you'd be, you'd be hitting them against your thighs the whole time. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes <laughs> that happens with two. Yeah. You could never wear shorts again. Shorts would be very different. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad we've covered that. <laughs> I need to mark the time. <laughs> testicle discussion <laughs> additional testicle discussion right meanwhile Daniel brings Daisy some cheap flowers and asks how it went with Ryan it was those fine. were not cheap those were expensive pink roses no he says that he picked them up because they were going cheap well cheap for roses is still expensive they're still cheap 
It was fine, says Daisy robotically, and later Daisy has been looking for places to rent so she can get the fuck away from number one and is looking at a two-year lease and lots of other things to convince herself that she still loves Daniel. And speed dial Alia is genuinely thrilled to see Ryan. They talk about Daisy and Alia is now a fan, which she never imagined would be possible. Now... And, and nor would I. Are those refugees still living in Daniel's house? I suppose the war is still on. No, but they weren't Ukrainian refugees, were they? They were Iranian refugees, weren't they? I think that it was from an unnamed country. Oh, yeah. Because I was thinking, wait, surely they can move into their house now. Yeah. Surely or- there would be more room in the house with the refugees. <laughs> yes. Than in Ken's flat. Or even, even a push, they could move into George's house. Right. They could rent George's house. George's house is standing empty all the time. But yeah, that's a good point. Yes, thank you. I'm glad I made it. Later, Alia is walking Ryan home when they bump into Max coming out of the kebab shop. Max reacts badly to Ryan's face and so the hoodie goes up. Alia prickles at the sight of Max and storms off. Ryan tells Max that he can't blame her for what uh, for how she reacted which Max appreciates, but he says he's not 100% evil. After all, he was the one who told Daniel that Ryan had collapsed. He was the one who'd had Daisy's phone, remember? And now Ryan's putting two and two together here and realises that if Max had that phone and, he and that calling phone it was Daisy's, Daisy's phone, phone, then that means Uh-oh. Daisy was crystal. <gasps> I, I love it when a plan. You know what I do love? I do love watching Ryan and Nalia arm in arm walking down the street. It's nice, isn't it? It is nice. It is nice. It is nice. I'd like to see more of that, please. And I like Ryan with a brain that, that works mm. like this. Yes, that didn't grow on a tree. Because I wouldn't have put it past old Ryan to not even twig that that's what Max was telling him. Yeah. Because that was a couple of weeks ago. He'd forgotten all about it by now. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a little frustrating because Ali is like, you're not supposed to be anywhere near me. And he's like, I, I just walked you out of the kebab shop. I didn't know you were going to be walking by mm. right now. I mean, I can understand. Uh, yeah. I can understand. But at the same time, he, he's, he's got to be able to go places that are not that, that are in the area and yet not speed dog. He's essentially got a restraining order against someone who lives across the street. Yeah. And it's complicated further with Yasmin's house being next door to his house. Right. So they could be like just a single wall apart from each other. Yes. Yeah, because they could both be in this back in the backyard at the same time. Right, and be with, within the range that right. is, that he's not allowed to be. He'd have to go back workable. inside the house. Right. I don't know. Mm. On Wednesday, Carla is up to find that Ryan didn't go to bed last night. He says he couldn't sleep. She suggests that he goes out later either with her or with his best friend Daisy, but he doesn't reply and she leaves. And markedly, he doesn't tell her his... His, his uh, revelation. Right. And number one, Daisy and Daniel are telling lies to each other about Bertie. She arranges to meet Daniel later for lunch and when she doesn't provide a reason, he becomes intrigued. Shall we eat around noon? Yes, but why? Of course, the reason is that she, <laughs> so she can throw the idea of moving out together. 
Right, then yes. She, she gets a text from Ryan asking her to go round. So she arrives at his place to find him getting wired into the vodka already. She thinks he wants to talk about the kiss, which she calls mutual, and they have this conversation, but she'd rather be friends with him. However, he really doesn't want to talk about the kiss. He wants to talk about the fact that she was Crystal. And he explains how he knows Max had her phone. Oh yeah, she says about that. And she doesn't try to deflect it no. at all. She admits it and yes. she apologises and she tries to explain her good intentions from weeks ago when she was covering for Crystal, not being interested, but it snowballed. He's understandably furious and called her twisted. She says that she needed to hear from him as much as he needed to hear from Crystal and tearfully she says that she did it because she cared. But he feels like a bird that's been caught by a cat and just been played with until he dies. So he tells her to leave and throws her out. And later Jenny comes round with some sweet treats and Ryan is moolered by this point and he asks if she knew and when she doesn't have a clue what he's talking about he closes the door in her face. Right. And I was reminded of the movie Ghostbusters at this point. <laughs> Are you the gatekeeper? No. No. Close, Close the door. Close the door. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I felt for Jenny there because she, has she no idea clearly what she had no into. idea. Right. And she just wanted to come in and have a cup of tea. <laughs> So Jenny finds Daisy crying in the community garden. She blames her period. Jenny tells her how worried he is. she is about Ryan, who is drunk and not speaking sense, going on about whether she knew, whatever that means. Jenny leaves and Daisy calls Ryan, warning him that she's coming back for round two. So she does. And Ryan is keen to hear her prepared speech on the matter. She says that she meant well, but he's not sure about that and asks if she meant well when she destroyed his relationship with Alia. She admits not, calls herself entitled and vile, but that's past tense. When someone shows you who they are, says Ryan, believe them. Oh, such a good line. Yeah, 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 a great line. It was especially great when it was first said by Maya Angelou. I think he says, he doesn't take credit for it, does he? He Once again, a white man stealing from a black woman. (laughs) And he calls her rotten inside and full of lies. She says her feelings are real. He admits that he thought they'd be great together. He used to envy Daniel, Daniel, but not anymore because he's marrying a shell. And he wonders if Daniel knows about the kiss and he can tell from her face that he he doesn't. Oh, what a surprise. So he goes off to the Rovers to put that right. He bursts into the pub, followed by Daisy, who shouts that Ryan knows. Daniel is a bit of a condescending prick, surprise, surprise. Says that Daisy isn't really a liar. What? But her actions came from a good place and he wouldn't let her near Bertie if he thought that she really was a psycho. So Ryan makes do with letting everyone know that Daisy was the one who catfished him and he leaves. And Jenny is, for the moment, furious. Through the back, she lets Daisy know what she thinks about all this and how cruel those actions were. Daisy says that she messed up. She, She has messed up or she is messed up. At least everything is out in the open now, says Daniel. And he hugs Daisy and does that thing where men put their big muckle hand on the back of a woman's head. Back at the flat, Ryan has told Carla who wants to kill Daisy, who just appears at the door. Carla still wants to kill, but Ryan agrees to giving Daisy two minutes. She wants to know why he didn't tell Daniel about the kiss, uh, but the shite patter about Bertie put him off, apparently. Now he's keeping Daniel in the dark, just like Daisy did to him. Daisy admits that she will never tell Daniel about the kiss, and Ryan isn't surprised. You do you, he says. She asks if there was any other reason why he didn't tell Daniel, though, like maybe he still has feelings for her, and she warns him that the kiss can never happen again, and Ryan is a flabbergasted. 
the neck on it, he says. And he has a theory of his own that maybe she's just projecting here, that maybe the reason that she's round here five times a day is because she's the one that's hung up on him. Poor Daniel, he says. He deserves better. And maybe for the ninth time, he tells her that he never wants to see her again and throws her out. I thought this was Daisy being old Daisy very much here. Yeah. That, that who could not fancy me? Who could not desire me? Right. Everybody must be working on this this I, basis, right? That that he didn't really yeah, say that because of Barry. He said that because me. he owed her a favour somehow. Yeah. I don't know. It does feel a little bit like that, but it also does feel like she's very carefully making sure that that's not the case because that's not the case for her at this moment. To say it, though. Right. To say that out loud to him at that moment was textbook old days. Very cheeky. But his point, I thought, was superb. You're the one who's round here all the time. Right. Yeah. Are you sure that maybe you don't fancy a little bit of me a little bit more than I fancy a little bit of you? Right. And again, you know, I don't think either one of them fancy each other. I think it's it's just psychologically because they are bonded due to this, due to the PTSD of the horrific event that they're confusing that bonding with romantic feelings. Ryan maybe fancies the idea of Daisy. Right. But following the whole Alia thing and the sexual assault aspects of that, right. he, I don't think, like this is where the whole PTSD thing comes right. in, I don't think he really sees her as a viable partner. And she she previously was probably so shallow that somebody with scarring like that would, right. of, would be of no interest to, right. to her. I think the new Daisy probably sees through that or probably right. sees through it more than the old Daisy does so right. on that aspect of it there's probably something that could happen there as well but again but again she's it, maybe fancies the idea of it more than she fancies him right and and I think that that's it's it's emotions that appear to be fancying but aren't really it's just that you know this is a person who understands what I've gone through. Yeah, and there's a longing that exists right. there to be yeah. with someone who to understands. To be understood. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there's there's also this aspect of Ryan who, and this is Daniel being a broken clock who's right twice a day. Daniel was right in the beginning when he says to Ryan that he really should be, he shouldn't be looking for a girlfriend you should be looking for your friends and keeping your friends around you and mm-hmm. and and get you know getting out of this trauma instead of trying to fill the jo- fill the void of the trauma with a romantic partner that mm-hmm. you're not ready for yet because you're not ready to accept yourself much less have somebody else accept you yeah i think this if it was to happen, I think the way that it has been framed by the show is a little more acceptable from the viewer's point of view. Because for those reasons, if the two of them are, are to get together, as as I believe they still may, if they do get together, then maybe the show is at least 
telling us that they're doing it for the wrong reason and, and right this, and this shouldn't happen nor right. and this wouldn't happen normally yeah and it absolutely it's, a, it's is the, the fact wrong reason. that when they get together as a viable couple mm-hmm. that it becomes icky yeah and why is the show doing that so the there's the recognition that it isn't viable mm-hmm. or it isn't viable for the right reasons right i think that's that's comforting to know yes somehow so back at number one, Daisy suspects that Ryan doesn't want anything to do with her. I wonder what gave her that idea. Mm. Daniel thinks it's probably for the best that all the secrets are out now. <laughs> Daisy quickly changes the subject and launches the idea that the three of them should get a place of their own and maybe the place of their own should be further afield and maybe that wouldn't be a bad idea. Daniel thinks that this is a great idea. Daisy deletes Ryan from her phone and this yes. time she does delete him. Which it'll appear in a couple of weeks. Right, yes. On Friday... Daisy comes into the rovers and Jenny is angry with her for two seconds. But she knows that Daisy meant well by catfishing Ryan and leading him on that the girl of his dreams was interested in him for months on end. Daisy is focusing on her and Daniel now, and Jenny approves of that. Debbie drops in to see Ryan. Debbie is wearing a gorgeous, what do you say, a board, a bolero? Bolero, yeah. A bolero. Absolutely affronted by Daisy's subterfuge and deceit. Ryan, though, is too much of a nice guy and has had a day to think about it and he's calmed down and knows that Daisy didn't really mean to be a total bitch and she probably thought she was doing the right thing. And Mm -hmm. He also doesn't like the idea of leaving things the way they are with her. So Debbie tells him to go and see her and make up, but not make up too much. Later, Daisy's chuffed because Daniel has called with some new viewings that they can go and see. Jenny pours them both a glass of the fizzy stuff to toast to new horizons, but unfortunately they do this just as Ryan comes in. He was worried about Daisy after the other day, but he needn't have been because she's over all that business in the blink of an eye. And once more, Ryan is left feeling a bit of a mug. If only I could get over things as quick, he says. And Ryan goes to see Debbie in the bistro. He tells her about Daisy. Debbie asks if he needs her to be as unhappy as he is because that sounds like he's in love with her. Ryan says that he isn't and that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm -hmm. That's not what that means, Debbie. I thought you were a smart woman. If anything, wanting somebody to be as unhappy as you are means that you hate that person. (laughs) Not that you love them. No, I think it it can mean... I mean, obviously it can't no. mean hate, but if you have unrequited feelings for someone, as maybe Ryan thinks he does at the moment, to see that person being happy and planning the future with somebody else, maybe maybe he does want bad things for them. If you love someone, you want them to be happy even if it's not with you. Yeah, well, maybe this isn't that kind of love. No, which is not love at all. <laughs> That's a twisted kind of love. Right, which is no love at all. <laughs> I can uh, different if you squint your eyes, kind of love. <clears throat> oh, shame on you. Do you know, I, I, liked, I, liked the, I liked the promise of this a little bit more than I liked the delivery of it. I was really pleased that just this Max in passing sort of thing right, yeah. was what triggered yes. Ryan figuring it out. Right, and I liked the initial confrontation of it, mm-hmm. and Ryan saying, "You know, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This is what I know, and this right. is what I'm accusing you of." Yes, and I liked the, um, I liked the initial kind of back and forth of the apology and the, 
and the excuses and the stuff and how hurt Ryan was. I thought I thought it was acted all really, really well and yes. the scenes were really powerful and yeah. emotional and and all that stuff. But then I, I don't know that it's... It feels like it's just kind of petered out. Are you accusing this of being scaffolding? Or perhaps a sinkhole? I am accusing it a little bit of being scaffolding. <laughs> I don't think we're necessarily at the end of this. I don't think so either, but I expected more... From this week, I didn't expect the peak of this to be 20 minutes on Wednesday. Well, we don't know what's going to happen next week. Because Ryan has forgiven her so quickly, it does. Yeah. It, it's a red flag for me. Yeah, the, the killer, a little bit of the storyline is Ryan being a nice guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Which, that's a red flag to you? Yes. Because... Because it kind of means that he still does think that he has feelings for her. The, but they're they not They clearly both real. still have those four feelings for each other. Daisy is absolutely distracting herself from that by moving away and focusing on Daniel and stuff. But you can tell, you can tell by her, it does by st- her, her little expressions, her little, where she swallows in a scene is, she's really good at this, I have to say. Uh, Charlotte Jordan when she she makes these muscles or these tendons in her neck Mm -hmm. tense up I don't know if it's by swallowing or not but she does it and it's a little bit of a tell I think for the character Mm -hmm. that the Mm -hmm. character's lying right that this kind of flares out a little bit and she did that a couple of times this week and I meant to take little snapshots of it because I thought it was like really wonderful the way that she does it because it's a level of of involvement in the character that you don't always expect, but um, I, I do think the two of them still have this this pretend relationship possibility going on in their heads. And yeah, I don't but know. I think she still has feelings for Daniel as well. And maybe it's just I can't understand that. Maybe and maybe that's my problem with it. Hmm. I don't know. Oh well, we shall see where we go with that. Yes. Let's move on to our next storyline this evening. Funny you should mention scaffolding. I've called this one Some Scaffolding Required. Ah. On Monday, Stephen Tracy are worried about Amy despite Aaron's lawyers dropping the libel case. Amy seems to be okay after the drama of last week and has arranged to meet Summer. That'll cheer her up. What she does in the community garden, Amy has a world of her own and admits that while she's relieved that the whole trial thing is over, the rape still happened. She's determined to find a way to be okay or else she thinks Aaron has won. And then she gets a call from her uni mentor person who says that she's missed so much work she's going to have to repeat the year. Amy finds it hard to argue with this but thinks it might be better just to drop out altogether. Stephen Tracy calls Summer Round to number one later to speak with Amy about this. Right, it's so funny how Stephen Tracy like immediately at the same time say a no <laughs> to her when she says that. It's so nice to see them united mm-hmm. in, in, in one thing. Stephen Tracy leave the girls to it. Summer was coming over anyway, which would have avoided the weirdness of the start of that scene. But Summer thinks repeating the year is maybe the best thing. It takes all the pressure off, and despite Amy's terrible history with alcohol, she suggests that they go out and get wasted at the bistro. Yeah. It's a deal. Read the room, Summer. Every time Amy gets drunk, something terrible happens to yes. her. So maybe, maybe, maybe don't drink maybe, anymore. Maybe let's not. And I know how, you know, we've talked about Aaron's relationship with alcohol given that his dad's an alcoholic or his dad abuses alcohol 
And sometimes the, the offspring either have a repulsion to the thing that their parent is addicted to or right. they or a genetic predisposition to also be an alcoholic. Yeah, or or maybe there's a sometimes there's a romance to that kind of thing a little bit that mm. becomes intriguing to to young people. Mm. Here we have Amy who has who doesn't really need to look back her diary too much to see bad things that have happened that have come after the involvement of alcohol. So you think that she would be Really, Summer, can we just go and get a curry instead? Or right. something like that. But who knows? Amy mm. is, is all up for it. And Toya seems to be working behind the bar at the bistro for plot reasons. Yes, so that's and great. she's blonde now. When did that happen? I think a couple of weeks ago. Did it? Yeah. After, I after missed she, it. When she came back with Spider to the, to the party at the bistro, I think her hair was blonde at that point. I don't know if I like it or not. That's Toya's hair. I always love Toya's hair. I love Toya. I particularly love Toya's hair from 2002, though. You can't well, beat that. No, you can't beat it. Not with a stick. No. Too much hairspray. And Toya learns about what happened with Amy while she was working conveniently behind the bar. A guy appears at the bar offering the girls some shots and asking for their company with him and his wife. Foursome? Well, and also their lonely friend who is their third wheel already. Fivesome. I think that's officially an orgy then at that point. Yes. They knock back the very tempting offer and Amy gets out of her tree on Zambuka instead until Toya cuts them off. It's kind of creepy though because the dude is like at least 10 years older than they are. Maybe more. Probably more. Yeah, it's creepy as fuck. So later, Amy and Summer start dancing which gives Foursome Guy an idea to join them and when his wife protests... A drunken Amy tells him to leave his wife alone. She's my wife, says Foursome Guy, which isn't an excuse. It's not. Amy rushes off and throws up in the plants outside the bistro and Summer is there in hair-holding duties. Amy makes Summer promise not to tell Stephen Trace about this. So they get home, or Amy gets home, not looking like she's been sick or is stinking of vomit currently, and she claims that she had a great night and goes upstairs to bed. On Wednesday, Amy is hungover to fuck and nothing seems to be helping. Not being sober, not being drunk. At least... Tracy and Steve have avoided those potential fees from the legal case, but right. that's about all she has. And that looks like a win in the matter. Yes. And later outside, Toya spots Amy and rushes over to speak with her. Amy thinks Toya's about to give her a lecture, but Toya tells her that they have more than Simon in common. And Toya <laughs> tells her that she was raped too when she was 18. And the two of them sit in the community garden and have a chat about it. Amy is surprised by this because Toya has it all together. Well, apart from the whole Susie thing and killing Imran. And Toya reckons that maybe she became a counsellor because of her experiences and thinks Amy speaking with someone professional might be the way to go. She gives Amy a card but tells her that she's got her ear anytime. Right. And it was nice because earlier in the morning when she was saying the thing about being sober doesn't help, being drunk doesn't help, she was speaking to Daisy who also said, you know, if you ever need to vent, I'm here for you, Mm -hmm. which was nice. Yep. But also nice to see Toya doing something that's kind of like what Counseling, Toya is right. meant to do. Not serving Zambukas behind the bar in the bistro. No. Helping people. Not selling knickers in the knicker factory. Right. Back at number one, Amy chats us over with Tracy. Amy's agreed to call the counsellors and also she wants to volunteer. She would much rather help than be helped. Tracy thinks it might be too soon for that. She's not over what happened. But Amy right. reckons this might be the thing that gets her over it. 
Yeah, right. Just quite adamant about it. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Do you think this will be like um, Asha saying that she wants to become an EMT? Which we've never heard anything about <laughs> since. Well, to be fair, we haven't heard her say that she wants to become like an astronaut or anything <laughs> since then. So I think the last thing that we heard her say that she wanted to be, I think that's still valid. There's just right. been no proof of it. Yeah, and no classes. Was this following uh, Nina... Falling into the pond, yes. Running into the river. Yes. Yeah. That was so funny. Because she didn't, she didn't know what to do when she froze. So now she wants to be an oh, well, that wasn't That wasn't too long ago. <laughs> that was like six months ago or something. Right, yeah. But you'd think you'd hear, you know, going to classes or something in that nature. In passing. In conversation. Or at least speak to Roy about it. <laughs> Just speak to Roy occasionally about it. <laughs> Well, why would she speak to Roy about it? Because people speak to Roy about things do, like that. They, they do. And he's he's a black belt in first aid, isn't he? <sighs> anyway, out of the stuff that happened this week, I quite liked this. I didn't really like Monday quite so much. No. Because I think Amy's quite good at acting drunk, but the whole getting drunk thing is such yeah. a... Old, I'm kind of tired. Trope, right? Yeah, I'm kind of tired of her hitting the bottle to but solve it, her problems. But it did lead to something great happening on Wednesday, which right. was the discussion with, with Toya. Toya. And I do wonder if Amy heard maybe a little bit more than Toya was actually saying, because Toya was saying, "You know, there's going to be a lot of people there that have mm-hmm. been through this as well. You're going to be talking to people who have mm-hmm. shared your experience. They're going to know what they're talking about." She kind of read that as there's openings here for volunteers if right. you so desire. And I don't think that's yeah. really what, what Toya and, was meaning. No, and I think Tracy's right that this is far too fresh for Amy to really be able to help anyone else. But this is something that we've kind of skirted around before when Paul decided to join the the helpline. Right, yeah. And, and that worked out really well. Well, I was going to say, I think that could have that worked out better. Yeah. 100% think that this is an Amy thing to do. Mm-hmm. She would much rather be the helper than the helped. Yes. And if she can figure a few things out on her own in the guise of helping other people, that probably works out perfectly for her. I have no idea if that's possible or not. Yeah, that's not really how it works. You kind of have to help yourself before you can help other people. Mm. But maybe in the... And the desire to become the volunteer, the, the training that goes along with that would maybe maybe bring some of those things to the fore. I don't know. Yeah, she I'm needs d- to speak just, to someone first and get right. it all out for herself first. And I'm glad that she seems to be at least open to that. Yes. To that notion because, I mean, we talked about this in the past that Amy kind of deals with things by by just being super Amy and just right. dealing and with stuff. Right, and internalizing things. And it scares me that that's what she's doing here as well. Mm. And it's not going to be good. Yeah, but there is more here of a kind of reaching out for help or some actions that at least look like reaching out for help here that didn't happen after the upskirting thing or the the drink spiking thing where she was just big brave Amy. At least here there is some... There is something that, that looks like something that could 
possibly be helpful. Yeah, it's better, it's better than it was before, which is, I guess, something. Yeah, but unfortunately, she's 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 going into it as big brave Amy, who's going to help other people hmm. and not focus on getting the help herself. Yeah, which it's is not it's good. It's in character, though. Nice to hear Simon get mentioned, even if it was just in the passing. Right, yeah. We don't get to see him, but we do get to hear about him. So he still exists somewhere. It's funny how these little crossovers kind of happen, because in classic Corey at the moment, we're in early 2003, uh-huh. and uh, Lucy the florist has just become pregnant with the embryo that will become Simon. Simon. <laughs> so that's happening, and it gets all cheeky little mention this week right. which is nice 20 years ago right nice again seeing toya i wish that they could find something more permanent to do mm-hmm. in that little helping guys even when they had her at the health center yeah it didn't need to be part of active storylines but there's there's toya at the mm-hmm. health center we never had a scene in the health center for years Maybe right. that's why that doesn't happen. Right. You only see the inside of it where you only Gaddis. see Doctor Gaddis's office. Mm. But at least we don't have to see Moira anymore. I'd love her to come back. I would not. If I was executive producer of <laughs> Corey's History, I would bring Moira back. That would be day one. It Get is Moira kind of. Back. It is kind of weird how she just disappeared and nobody talks about it. Right. Nobody says. I wonder what happened to Moira. Sometimes you forget that Vic Reeves was in Coronation Street. <laughs> Vic Reeves was in Coronation Street, pretty much being Vic Reeves. Mm-hmm. It's just it's madness thinking about it. Patrick Stewart was once in Coronation Street. So be it. Engage. Let it be. Anyway, moving on. Our next storyline tonight is the Italian jobby. <laughs> on Monday, <laughs> you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. On Monday, Brian and Isabella are at Nina's Rolls. Isabella's complaining about the coffee again. This seems to be her thing. Roy asks how long Isabella will be charming everyone with her presence, and it seems that judging by the way Evelyn buttered her tea cake this morning, she's still pissed off. Brian confirms that she'll be leaving tomorrow. When Brian goes to the florist looking for a bouquet for Isabella, she's demanding flowers for the flat, although he reckons he should be buying apology flowers for Rita, Evelyn and Roy. You have to be a pretty hateful person. But not Mary. For Roy to dislike you. <laughs> for Roy to find nothing good about you. Yeah, that doesn't that happen That doesn't very happen. Mm. It's like that Justin Bieber song. You know, my mama don't like you. She, she likes, likes everyone. everyone. Yep. It is exactly like that. Roy, is, Roy Cropper doesn't like you, and he likes everyone. Yeah, he's your mama. I wonder if it's possible to write an alternative version of that song, but with Roy instead of your mama. <laughs> or my mama. I will find that out once we're done. Yes. Yeah, so Brian is thinking about buying flowers for everyone, but not Mary. He tells Mary the good news that Isabella will be fucking off tomorrow. But then Isabella comes in and she's on the phone to her builders and Brian is able to translate that either she's stuck in the UK for another three weeks or her aunt's pen is in the forest with the smoking monkey. <laughs> At least this proves that she really does have a flat that's getting worked on. Does it? Does that it she prove gets it? a phone call about it and all of a sudden she becomes quite angry and it's is talking about this it's certainly in Italian. evidence towards it, but I wouldn't say it's beyond reasonable doubt proof hmm. I'm on day 8 of Duolingo say something in Japanese sushi 
<laughs> I can say sushi. Mizu is water. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa is hello. Yes. Desu or des is the thing that you stick at the end. That's the verb. So if I, I, was, I was to say I'm Gavin, I'd be Gavin Desu or Gavin Des. I don't think they say the U at the end. Huh? I can recognise the words better than I can say them. Yeah, I'm like that with Spanish. I mean, the idea of actually saying something Japanese to someone in a Japanese restaurant terrifies me. Yes, I feel the same in a Mexican restaurant. Because I would say something appalling. Right, or just say something badly. <laughs> right. I'm sure they would appreciate it either way. I'm sure they would appreciate you having a, having a try. And I think I have said arigato in a Japanese restaurant before. Yes. Did you say domo arigato? Mr. Roboto, Roboto, I did not say that. Do you think I should have? No. I'll do it next thing. No. <laughs> we're never going but to anyway, a Japanese restaurant again. So we, we had the, the fun of when we were driving out east that you were du- doing Duolingo Spanish. Steli was si. doing Duolingo German. Da. And I was doing Duolingo Japanese. So all yes, three of Japanese. us are, are learning different languages. Oh, it's, it's hi, isn't it? I've not known... I don't think I've got to that bit yet. You haven't gotten to yes and no? No. Huh. I'm talking about rice. I'm talking about water. I'm talking about sushi. I'm talking about green tea, which is ocha. Yes. And I'm talking about saying thank you. And I've learned please, but I can't remember it. Ah. Teacher sensei. Teacher is sensei. Yes. And I've learned lawyer, but Boban? I think maybe that. That sounds wrong, actually. Anyway. You learned lawyer before yes and no. Yeah. Duolingo's weird, I'm man. sure it knows what it's doing. It's a repetition of it that right. eventually will stick, I think. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so Italian this things were been, said. This has been the Duolingo Minute with Helen and Gav. I think it was longer than a minute. <laughs> Mary rushes round to see Roy and Nina's roles. She needs help to come up with a plan to get rid of Isabella for good, and she's starting to worry that there is no flat. I'm glad that Mary's thinking this. Roy refuses to get involved and tells Mary that Brian needs to stand up for himself and Mary worries that Brian isn't the greatest at doing that. What was her first clue? In the rovers, Isabella is barely tolerating the house red but thinks it's great that she'll be able to spend more creepy time with Brian. He tries to encourage her to go visit some of the sites that the north of England has to offer. A tour of the northern Rivera. Riviera. There may be some confusion here though that she thinks he'll be going too. Hmm. And Mary joins them later when this confusion becomes clear. Isabella thinks it's ridiculous that she should be going on this trip without her tour guide, starting at the Paris of the North, Southport. <laughs> Mary reminds Brian that he's the master of his own destiny. It's kind of begging him to stand up to her. Right. But we don't find out if that happens or not. We only got that on Monday and there was no other mention of it this week. Yeah. Were you offended that they didn't mention a trip to Scotland? Nope. Because that's even further I'm north. not the sort of Scottish person that whenever anything is mentioned that is in England thinks that there needs to be a Scottish equivalent. There are people like that. Oh yeah, I know. My mum was kind of like that. Gets all offended when there's no... Not, all, everything's all London-centric. Well, not in Take the High Road it isn't. Or Still Game. Right. I don't know. I think... It bothers me when people just assume that the, all of the UK is England. And there are some English people that act that way. It's not just Americans that don't understand that the United Kingdom means four separate kingdoms that are united. You know, 
there are plenty of English people who, who just assume that Scotland and, and Wales and Northern Ireland are just filled with people who think just like them. Hmm. But yeah, I can see your point. Brian has shown off his country. And mm-hmm. his part of the country has just shown off the north. Right, of England, which and, is his country. And people in that London probably look on the north of England in the same way as they look on right. Scotland, to be perfectly honest. It's kind of like how the people on the east and west coast kind of look at Midwesterners and Southerners. Oh, it's called flyover country for a reason, right? Yeah. And, and yet, you know, places like Chicago are in flyover country, and yet people act like it's... Like on the coast, like somebody was like, people in the Midwest don't understand Chicago. Chicago's in the Midwest. I shared a video of, let me find out where the Midwest is. <laughs> that was funny. Because his cursor is over Colorado and uh-huh. that sort of area, Texas. Right. So like, is this the Midwest? Is this the kind of Middle West? And then you looked up at the map and it's all kind of highlighted of right. where the Midwest is. That's not the fucking Midwest, for fuck's sake. I have, I have bad news for you, Lemmy. <laughs> it's funny to me that people share that meme of Lemmy and have no idea who Lemmy is. The one where he's just waking up and his eyes are like this. <laughs> this is, a, is this the second distraction <laughs> in this eight scene storyline of the week? Yes. Uh, I don't know where we're going with this. Yeah, I, I think, I'm kind of tired of it. And I, it was fine for the first week or two. We need her to go. I do like how she's pissing off all of Brian's friends. That's kind of amusing if a little bit. If I were bit. Italian, I'd be offended by this character. <laughs> Fortunately, I am not. And I'm not entirely convinced that she's Italian. I think Mary is the voice of the audience here. I'm not sure there is a flat. I'm not sure there's a flat. That could have been anybody on the phone. That could have been the speaking clock. Right. Yeah, but she but it rang and she answered it, so it wouldn't be that's the speaking a, that's clock. It's impossible to get your phone to ring. Your phone made a noise. It didn't ring. She's it made a, a noise. middle-aged lady. Do you think she knows how that sort of thing works? If she's a con lady, absolutely. Hmm. Because if she's not a con lady, where are we going with this? I don't know. Is is Brian going to move to Italy with her and be creepy with his cousin? Because remember, there is still kind of creepy incestuous vibes coming up there here. are there and are he's she's kind of holding them a little bit right yeah and I, don't, I don't like that this, this needs to come to a conclusion yes oh well it won't be in the next week or so because they're off touring the the northern riviera correct so anyway our next storyline tonight with maybe no distractions and tangents but we'll see <laughs> we'll see it's tim's mum about the house Just a few scenes on Monday here. Stephen and Tim's mum were in the Rovers. She's fully recovered, thank goodness, and still furious at Tim for the way that he spoke to them both last week. In the factory, Stephen phones the insurance company about Tim's mum's policy, and they confirm that the individual payment from a business account called Seagull has been received. There are no red flags there whatsoever. Carla comes in and tells him that Owen needs to see the accounts. Gulp. Whoa, whoa. So later, Owen drops into the rovers with news of a romantic getaway over the weekend where he intends to be filthy with Jenny. And Jenny is quite excited about this. <laughs> and this is overheard by Stephen. Owen speaks to Stephen about these weird payments and uh, that are coming from or going to the account of Seagull. 
Stephen says it's payment for a consultancy firm. They're just a small firm, nothing to worry about. And their work has been done here and there's going to be no further payments. So if there's no further payments to the Seagull thing, which seems to satisfy Owen for now, this essentially gives Stephen a month to kill Tim's mum before the policy lapses. Mm. So I think this is hit and start on the time we're here. We've got until the end of July. And then the July premium's going to be due. It's not going to be paid. The life insurance will then lapse. Right. So I am tentatively predicting that this storyline will either be over in four weeks. And you know what? Thank God. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. It can't all be throwing stuff around about the factory. Right. right. You can't yeah. have that every week. Can't be always throwing the bins. It can't be bodies falling into bins or or inexplicably not floating. You know, apparently that scene with Leo was supposed to be seemingly even more accidental than it was, but... It was already kind of accidental, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah. They were scuffling but, on, on the gantry. Right, but apparently it was supposed to be even more so, but he changed it at the last minute and said, what if we, what, what if we made it seem like this was his intention? I, I, I'm never sure how much or what to read into actors, actors on the spur of the moment changing the direction of storylines mm. that have been planned out for months. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... It does seem kind of I don't know if anyone looks at the, at the sinkhole Leo murder as being premeditated. Right. It, it wasn't. No. And even the sinkhole Leo's dad one wasn't premeditated. Right. He expected to do harm, mm. but he didn't understand how fragile skulls are because he didn't speak to Stu's daughter. Yeah. Now, what's his face? Rufus. Yeah, that, that was, was intentional and premeditated but, and brutal. But the Cinco Leo one, I was never convinced. No. But yeah, so this, this seems Owen rightfully doing his due diligence here right. before he buys a factory. He right. wants to see the accounts. Right. It's strange that he's fi fixated on these small 400 pound payments that have been made for a couple of months right and a, a factor that must be doing thousands of turnover right but, but I'm, the but I'm other ones are yeah. you know they make sense right then this is something that didn't make sense to him but like that he's focusing on it and i really don't think judging by his expression he seems okay i'm going to let this go mm -hmm. but i'm going to let this go for now right and i'm going to keep an eye on this exactly and that's going to spell bad he's already news for Stephen. suspicious of Stephen. right I, uh, why on earth would Stephen pay for this life insurance this way? Through an account, through a mysterious account attached to the factory as opposed to paying for it himself. Right. Maybe to keep it slightly anonymous. So when Tim's mom turns up dead, it's not, oh, you know, you put, took this life insurance policy out on her before you were married. Yeah. That's not suspicious at all. Yeah, and maybe if Tim's mum's got access to his accounts. Right. Or his bank accounts anyway. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. I suppose. It, it makes it look dodgy as all hell. Right, though. yeah, you'd think the life insurance people would be like, wait a second. Yeah, I, I don't know if Red you can flags. make 
payments from a business account for personal life insurance. I'm not sure if that's allowed. It certainly shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't remember this particular thing coming up. I never training. even thought that you could buy life insurance for somebody else. That's dodgy. It is dodgy. <clears throat> no, but it feels like maybe we're maybe we're going to get somewhere, but it wasn't this week. Nope. Well, maybe it'll be next week. Maybe. Moving on, our next storyline is Mad Max Racism Road. On Wednesday, Beck is in town and bumps into Max. She's reading some of the want ads in the cabin. The two of them wander off and are seen by Alia, who is shocked, shocked to see the two of them together. Mm. Beck has a wee surprise for Max. And the surprise is lunch at Speed Dial. And Max, Max thinks says, this is really thoughtful, but he can't because he's feeling sick and he needs to go home. And he rushes off and leaves her in the middle of the street. Nice one, Max. Back home, Max is in a mood when Shona comes home and she's made her questions and he lies about having lunch in time with Beck. So later when he asks for dinner, Shona is super suspicious because he was supposedly full earlier on. So Max admits that Beck wanted to go to Speed Dial. And Sona sussies that he can't go in and can't tell her why not. And Beck doesn't know why he was in the young offender's place in the first place. So Shona points out that it's hardly a secret. Everyone on the street knows. And he should tell Beck before she finds out for herself. Yeah. Good Famous ad- last words. Good advice. So on Friday at number eight, Max tells Shona that he's going to admit his griff stuff to Beck. And Shona says, look, all that is history. You're a different person than the kid that you were four months ago. Right. So Max turns up <laughs> Before outside... Before you got caught, right. essentially. So Max turns up outside Beck's like a fucking creep, claiming to be in the area. She's off to shoot hoops and is wearing a Michigan basketball shirt. And I, for one, am appalled. She toys with him for a second about his strange behaviour yesterday, but quickly tells him that he's a shit liar, so she knows that he hasn't seen anyone else behind her back. And later, Beck and Max get back to the street. She's whipped his ass and also soundly beat him at basketball. Ha ha. He wonders why they never go back to her place, but she claims it's a dump. She gives him a peck on the cheek, and because of plot, she goes off on her own to get a sandwich just as Alia comes round the corner and she goes to have a word with Beck. So when Beck goes back to Max's, she doesn't have no sandwich, but she does tell him about her chat with Alia and how it turns out that Max is a terrorist. <laughs> I was like, so surprised when she said the word terrorist. Right, but it's true. <clears throat> it's true, but I was expecting, oh, the worst is is a racist. Right. Oh no, shit, he was a terrorist as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> I forgot about that bit. So... Beck accuses Max of trying to prove that he's seen the error of his ways by dating a black girl. Conveniently forgetting, Bax went to her to get her to get back together with Gav Mm -hmm. and kept saying, no, I don't want to date you. And she was the one who was like, I don't want Gav, I want you. We're seeming to skate over that that part of this. Mm. Because... I, I feel like her point is valid. All of her points are valid. And if I were her, yes, I would not want anything to do with Max either. You know, because wait until she hears about the fact that he was also involved in upskirting and date rape drugs. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Max's social calendar. It's the only last, the tip of the iceberg, the terrorism. For the last year and a half. It makes for interesting reading. Yeah. You, you have to go further under the sea to see the rest. <laughs> 
He claims to be colourblind and that had never occurred to him, even though it had occurred to several people who had spoken to him about it. Right, and had occurred to him. She leaves and he chases after her. Max said that he would take it all back if he could, but Beck says that he'll always be that sort of person who always looked down the nose at her, made her feel less than what she is. Do you understand? She asks. Yes, says Max, who was colourblind five seconds ago right. and now can fully appreciate the experience of a young black woman. <laughs> We're done, says Beck, and she storms off. David was passing because of the plot. This was always going to be a tough sell, he says. Max just regrets not getting the chance to speak to Beck about this first. Alia did. And Alia was watching all this unfold from the law office and quickly goes back to work. Yeah. <clears throat> then there's a couple of scenes where... David and Shona are kind of chewing this over and they think, well, this is maybe a little bit of foul play by Alia, but right. we're not going to call her out on it because no. she's kind of she's kind of right to do yeah. this and she's kind of upset and hurt right. and stabbed and blown up and all that right. sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't like the fact that it came from Alia because then it gives certain people in the, certain people on the social meds fuel to say what a cow she is and she should have minded her own business Mm -hmm. and she's just trying to further ruin this poor white boy's life won't anyone think of the poor white children i was expecting when you see alia standing at the window Uh and when you hear max talking about well i never got the chance to to explain to beck Mm -hmm. i expected a brick to go through alia's window (laughs) because max has learned nothing nothing but I'm glad that that didn't happen. No. Or it didn't happen it does, yet. It does it does <clears throat> kind of feel like Max has learned something. He's 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 getting there. But there's still so much that he just does not understand. Like that whole like colorblindness thing was just like I didn't even realize you were black. Come on. Well, she's black. I mean, look at her. Right. Hmm. Yeah. At home, David tells Max to stop beating himself up about this. They always knew this would be difficult. Some slates take longer to clean. Max says that he really liked Beck. Then do something about it. Maybe she'll be in a more agreeable mood tomorrow, says David. If he wants people to believe that he's changed, start with her. So Max is about to call Beck when he gets a call of his own, and he dingies it. It was Gav. As, what, if, well. as if his life isn't complicated enough. And what, that's well. as far as we get for that this week now. Yeah. There were a few comments on the Twitter that I read that were kind of articulating the way that I was kind of feeling about the storyline, which is, is Max getting set up here? What do you mean? Did Beck know all along why Max was in that place? Because... Gav knew because everybody knows. So is this their way to teach him a lesson? Well, no, because I don't think so. I I don't think so at all. I think because when Max first goes in and the guys are like, oh, what are you in for? He lies. And that's the end of it. Yeah, but as you said at the time, you can't keep those things secret well yes in real life people find out in real life you can't but it kind of seems like they can here and i would really hate that if that's the way they're going with this that oh oh it's going to take two black people that we've just introduced to this story to teach max a lesson about racism and that he's still a racist in the storyline with Alia. 
you know, it just, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. If, if they were if the same way that the whole Alia being the one to tell Bex leaves a bad taste in my mouth about, about how this gives, this adds fuel to the fire of people who online who hate Alia anyway, sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel like if that were the case, then when Alia told her, she wouldn't have like gone and blown up at him and said, we're through if that's the way that this was going. I, I think, I think there are parts of this that, that don't, that, that don't back this up. <clears throat> Things that happened on, on Friday that make this a bit of a stretch, but I'm wondering now if Beck can now tell Gav. I think that has happened. I think that absolutely has happened. And that's why, that's why he dingies the call. Because either Beck has told Gav that, Gav, that Beck and Max hooked up, or Beck has told him that, he, that Max was a terrorist and a racist. Yeah. Or the both. The guy that you got to try and patch things up with you. Uh-huh. Well, he and I were an item... And he's also a and terrorist. And he's also a terrorist. So, yeah. So n- nice going. Yeah. There has to be something. That- There's a reason why we see Gav call yeah, right then. Exactly. And that's and there's a th- it. And there has to be a reason because of the big deal that Gav was making before uh, Max was released. So there's, there's something between the three of them. My request to the show, though, is ideally... Gav and Beck become longer term characters yes, here. Yes, please. I love both of but those kids. I'll, if it's just Beck, I'll take that. Right. I think she's great. Yeah. I'm intrigued by the Michigan top. You don't think it's just something random like. Oh, come on. You of all people are saying to me, no, like, no, no. That was just like random. All Tyrone's shirts that aren't his MSU t shirt. Yeah, I I don't know if like somebody. Oh well, it's a basketball shirt, so let's put so this let's girl in a blast in a basketball shirt. So you go for the Chicago Bulls, right? Or yeah. Or you go for the New York Knicks, right? You yeah. go for the you University for, of Michigan. Yeah, you go for an actual NBA team. One would think, right? Or maybe even a a British basketball team. Are there such a Jeez, thing? I, I believe there are. I know there are high school uh, Stirling Rocks. Stirling Rocks. Because is it Stirling Rocks? I don't know. But you, we have friends whose children play basketball yeah, in the bit, United my Kingdom. Yeah, my Stoops. Still in rocks. Oh, as a, a winery in Australia. <laughs> Sterling rocks basketball. Do people grow tall enough? Sterling knights. Uh, Sterling knights. Do people grow tall enough to play basketball no, in the you United get, Kingdom? You get the kids who don't make the NBA to go over to Sterling to play basketball there. Ah. Well, I guess that's Although I guess happens. Stubes is tall enough. Not coordinated enough, though. Or young enough. You've never seen him bounce a ball. <laughs> or even nor, two of them. And nor have I. Or four. <laughs> a good callback. Yeah. There is something. There's The Gav connection is not done, obviously... And maybe when he gets out, that thing that we were wanting to happen, where this isn't about you stole my girlfriend, it becomes something more right. You're more a terrorist and more deep. 
maybe that gets a chance to. I befriended to you. I defended you. Yeah. And you were a terrorist and a racist all along. Yeah. How very dare you. Although, Griff liked black people who were born in the United Kingdom. Remember that one black guy was at that meeting and Griff pointed at and said, you know what I'm talking about. And the black guy's like, do not look at me. Do not point at me. The black guy kind of looked to his sides like, are you talking to me? <laughs> right. That was great. That was great. Where's that guy? More of that guy, please. Yes. And Fish Guy. It's been Where like 800 episodes since Fish Guy was on. Surely, surely. 500 the, episodes. Surely the bistro still sells fish. Where's our fish guy? Not so much that it's a plot point, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I want I want fish guy to be Damon's drug mule. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I would love that. Moving on. Our next storyline is Collecting for Paul. On Wednesday, Billy... Is this our penultimate nope. story? What? Billy and Paul are back from Wales. What else is out there? In the mail, Paul has an application for some benefits or another. Nothing to do with Billy. Billy actually says, uh, Right. Uh. And Paul didn't ask for the application. So who did? Hmm. At the kebab shop, Paul learns it wasn't Chez or Gemma neither. So that just leaves Bernie, who wanders in with a charity bucket. Or Todd. And this makes Paul furious. He didn't want her rattling her bucket on the street like she's fundraising for a donkey charity. What? He's frustrated that she didn't listen to him. Are we calling back to last year, Coronation Street? <laughs> and ends up kicking over a table. Benny leaves and Chesney helps clear up. What are you doing, Chesney? Chesney says that Bernie is only trying to help. It's not about fundraising. It's about Bernie feeling like she's doing something because she's losing her son. Right, and there's nothing she can do about it. And this resonates with Paul, who yes. later in the pub has a change of heart and gives Bernie her bucket back and apologises and tells her that if she gets the drinks in, he gives her the green light to fundraise. Billy, in triple denim, thinks that Paul did the right thing. Yes, a Canadian tuxedo even. <laughs> On Friday, at Nina's Rolls, Deb is upset by how run-ragged Bernie is these days and concerned that he isn't getting enough of her attention. I So Paul, who's there with Billy, offers to have the two of them over for dinner. He's cooking Billy's famous pasta bake, the mind fucking boggles. <laughs> Paul and Billy chat about this outside. Billy's worried about what Paul's taken on and Paul tells Billy that he needs to stop fretting like a hen in a hot girdle and let him be the judge of that. You skipped over the best part of that scene. Which was? Bernie smacking Dev's ass and Dev looking very happy about it. Oh, that must have been right another time I didn't see that happen. What? I've watched it twice like, as well. I was like, oh, Bernie, she's just like me. <laughs> I'm black and blue. Paul, But only on the ass. Yeah, but it can't be seen. <laughs> Paul gets back from Fresco on the bus, but his leg gives way as he's getting off and he falls to the ground, his groceries spilling everywhere. A rude Scottish woman tells him that he should be ashamed for being so moolered at this time of day, even though Paul's got proper groceries with vegetables and not half a dozen cans of special brew. Seriously. The bus drives off and of course Bernie sees Paul sprawled out in the pavement. She runs to his aid and after shouting that he can manage, he gets upset as she walks him home. Now, <sighs> I thought she sounded quite Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've had your tea. Mm-hmm. So I posted on Twitter, is that an Edinburgh accent? Mm. And people didn't think so. They thought it was more Glasgow. I, was like, I don't think that, that was a Glasgow accent. Then Peter Ash posts saying, 
meet my two mums. Was that his real mother? That was his real mum. Oh my God. His real mum. I love it, right? <laughs> so I kind of quote tweeted that or replied uh-huh. to it or something said, was that an Edinburgh accent she was doing? She said, no, I'm from Coat Bridge <gasps> outside Glasgow. And I'm yeah. like, she doesn't need to tell me where Coat Bridge is. Right. My mum's side of the family is all from Coat Bridge. Right. They probably know her. Probably. <clears throat> so I know it really well. Uh-huh. I said, like, that didn't sound like a, a Coat Bridge accent. Because uh-huh. a Coat Bridge accent is kind of more of a Glasgow accent. Right. But there's a posher part of Coat Bridge. Oh. Where Some, your family's not from. Well, when my papa's brother lived ah. in Sunnyside. Oh, okay. And uh, when I heard when I heard her speak again, uh-huh. I was like, yeah, that isn't an Edinburgh accent. That was that was my Aunt Mary's posh voice that I was hearing. What is it with all of these actors getting their mums on the show? I love it. I thought that was Because we just great. had um, Sean's mum a couple of weeks ago. That's right. It was, uh, what's his name, the dead guy's... Uh, Housekeeper. Yes. Rufus is housekeeper. Rufus is housekeeper with Sean's mum yeah. in real life. There's a lovely photo on Twitter of him standing with Bernie on one side and his real mum on the other side. Aww. Just gorgeous. So nice. So they she give, was now fantastic. They give her they give her lives dissing her own son. Coat Ridge, who'd have thunk? <laughs> so It's a small world. I wouldn't like to paint it. Back home, Bernie wants to go to Dr. Gadas, but Paul reminds her that there's nothing that anybody can do, really. Bernie again is disappointed that Paul has given up so easily. He says he's just been realistic. Bernie hates feeling helpless and offers to give her crystals a go. What harm could it do? Fucking fine, says Paul, but no clinky, clanky music. <laughs> Dev and Billy get home. <laughs> well, Bernie has Paul out on the couch with crystals balanced on his body. Billy reacts badly to the incident on the bus, but Bernie insists that the crystals are doing their work. Paul agrees until Bernie starts insisting that her crystal therapy is as good as religion when Billy starts to scoff at it. Paul says that he was just saying that he felt better to make Bernie feel good. He feels like shite and he's going to have plenty more days like this and worse. Paul isn't interested in crystals or religion and he asks Bernie and Billy to respect that. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Ooh. This is a very interesting aspect of this whole storyline. Yeah, we are getting maybe part of Billy's job being relevant here. Yeah, and the fact that if this is such a huge part of Billy's life... Which we have no reason to believe it isn't, <laughs> I guess. I mean, the, the church does pay him. Mm-hmm. So for, for what? We don't know. Right. This may be an, an interesting twist in the storyline. You know, the fact that his mother and his partner both hold very deep beliefs that relate to death. Yeah, and absolutely clash with each other. Right. Which is, well, I guess. Um, But both of them clash more with Paul's atheism mm. to everything sort of thing, you know? And and how they deal with death is going to be so very different than the way he himself deals with death. And is that going to cause conflict? It's an interesting thing to think about. And I hope the show does explore that seriously in yeah, the future. Yeah, one would think that Billy's go-to is going to be God here. Yeah, and, <laughs> and prayer. Pa- and Paul isn't going to be interested in it. No. 
So does that mean that Billy stops doing that or just no. stops doing it in front of him? I mean, he's not going to stop being an employee of the church. He's not going to st- he's not going to stop believing in God just because Paul doesn't believe in God. That would be silly. No. Oh. You know, and he's still going to pray for Paul. He may not pray over but, him, well, that's, but that's, it doesn't that's seem... That's what I'm saying, though, is he it, then I, does that privately. Right, which I think is what he's done already. We, we've never seen... We've never seen... We've never really seen Billy pray anywhere, have we? I don't think I've I ever think seen Billy pray. Funeral, but. And it would be it would be nice if this is finally the storyline where we talk about Billy's faith, you know? I got really excited that we almost got that with Summer's abortion, but then that turned into a circus <laughs> with two clowns trying to steal the baby. Yeah. And and Paul pushing Mike. Shoving. Shoving Mike. He shoved Mike. Well, that, this might even be something of a crisis of faith for, for Billy. Right. Although you would think that his his daughter's diabetes and his own drug addiction and the death of his former partner and the fact that Peter pushed him off a cliff and also someday shoved Mike <laughs> would have all been crises of faith those have before. all been forgotten I think <clears throat> but yeah I agree way. that it's a really interesting aspect of the story and one that I wasn't really thinking about until until this week I mean I was thinking about the Billy part of it but I wasn't really thinking about the the astral Bernie part of it until until this week. I keep on forgetting that she's that kind of star child sort of thing. Right. Because she because she really Because she isn't really. Typically Paul stubborn aspect right. stubborn approach to it is yeah. is intriguing. Yes. Yeah, we will see. <clears throat> All right. Our penultimate storyline oh, then finally. is Freddy's Revenge. Oh, oh yes. A nightmare on Coronation Street Part two, Freddy's Revenge. I now want to see that dog in a little hat and a red and black striped sweater. Calling people bitch quite a lot, which people forget. <laughs> oh, prime time, bitch. <laughs> What's it, what is it with the slurs, please, Freddy? Settle down, it's because he was a homosexual. On Friday, yeah, a wee bit. People, people, see, people forget. Freddy was all about gay rights before, before it was a thing. On Friday, Evelyn takes Freddy into Nina's roles. As all horror monsters are. <clears throat> Freddy the dog, not the star of the Nightmare on Elm Street like franchise. Like Duke. And in Nina's roles ahead of a marathon walk, Roy announces that he's fully recovered and re- ready to take Freddy back. Ready, Freddy? Evelyn pretends she's thrilled by this and agrees to hand the wee rascal back after the walk. Also Freddy. <laughs> Yasmin and Stu are in the Rovers. He's calling her pet now. Which, given the history, seems ill-advised. Yasmin is excited about going to an event at the library about Mary Bartram. Stu thinks it sounds stupid and refuses to accompany her. Later. No, no, the problem is it doesn't sound stupid enough. It sounds too smart for him. <laughs> Later, Alia will also re- refuse because she's busy in another storyline. So later, Roy turns up at Evelyn's door to pick up Freddy, but Freddy refuses to leave. Oh my, says Evelyn, how embarrassing, and she claims that Freddy doesn't see Roy as his master. Drag him, Roy, he's tiny. Roy picks up the dog and takes him away, whimpering, also Freddy. (laughs) Later, Tyrone comes home and is saddened to see that Freddy has gone home to Roy's. (laughs) And we also learn that Kirk has moved in with his mascot best friend, whatever that means. (laughs) 
secretly, it looks like Avon is hiding Freddy's favourite toy, blue thing, down the side of her chair. So, well, we think it's the chair, <laughs> and we think it's we think it's Freddy's, but our conscience gets the better of her, and Evelyn decides to take Blue Thing back to Freddy at Nina's rolls. Roy complains that Freddy seemed disengaged during his walk earlier. Evelyn picks holes in the direction that they went. Roy asks for a map of Freddy's favourite routes. What would we do without Evelyn? He says. And later, Evelyn comes Indeed. back with some very detailed maps for Roy, who has a proposal for Evelyn. Just at this, though, Yasmin has been doing a shite and comes out of the toilets. Turns out Roy is the only person in Weatherfield that she's been able to convince to see the Mary Bartram Smart thing enough to go at the library. To hear a reading <clears throat> of a book. Roy asks Evelyn to look after Freddy tonight. Evelyn sees Yasmin playing with the dog, and through gritted teeth, she accepts. After the library thing, Roy heads to Evelyn's and has a proposition for her. He but not like that. That the dog share, given how deeply she cares for Freddy, she pretends that she doesn't. And Tyrone's right. like, "You love that dog." Tyrone thinks this is a fabulous idea, but Evelyn decides to sleep in it and hands the dog back. Roy leaves, and before Tyrone can say anything, Evelyn tells him to keep his fucking mouth shut. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, I'm still enjoying this this storyline. I mean, I think. I think we're dragging out the They're, Evelyn, Yasmin, Roy, Stu thing a right. little bit. I do like the fact, you know, they're they're slowly inching towards actually being in a relationship. Because Roy says, what would we ever do without Evelyn? And also, they are co-parenting a dog. I kind of get the feeling that they will end up just being together and no one can tell when it happened. Right. It'll just happen. It'll just be kind of like osmosis yes if that's the right word i doubt it is but i think it is you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean all right let's move on to a final storyline which is damon bad omens 2 on monday adam sarah and harry are in speed dial when harry. damon no mates comes in looking for a table for one adam doesn't think there's no reason that they need to leave or let damon bother them However, Adam makes a big deal about his Father's Day presents from Harry and a card in which Harry has spelled much wrong, which Sarah concedes is a difficult word. Hearing this sticks in Damon's craw a bit. Back home at the flat, Sarah and Adam are enjoying a glass of wine and congratulating themselves for not letting Damon get them over dinner, although Adam still isn't ready to get his hole off of Sarah right now. Right. On Wednesday, Damon has had a brainwave, opening up a pop-up bar in a hipster part of town. Nick and Leon aren't sure. Damon thinks they're lacking in the can-do department and he's prepared to put his money where his mouth is. But not like that. On the street, Adam and Sarah see Damon coming out the bistro. Sarah is worried that life is on eggshells now with Damon around, so Adam snogs the face off of her to shut her up and then they declare their love for each other. Damon, who had ringside seats for this, throws up in his mouth a wee bit. <coughs> As do we. Later, Damon's in the law office as Dee Dee and Adam come in. He's in a bit of a mood and he's looking for his paperwork for his late licence, which Dee Dee is only too happy to hand over. We won't keep you, says Adam, and he shuts the door in Damon's face, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Adam drops into the bistro later to ask how long Damon is going to be in town. The foreseeable, says Nick. Adam is interested in getting rid of Damon permanently and is wondering whether Nick and Leanne would be interested in helping out. And Nick laughs like this is a joke. (laughs) Right. Like, you're not really suggesting what I think you're suggesting, are you, sir? Yeah, permanently kind of mm, means permanently, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. Later, Leanne isn't keen on the idea. Anything between Damon and Adam isn't their business, and she wants nothing to do with it. Nick floats the idea of getting rid of Damon thanks to someone else putting in the legwork. 
might, might not be such a bad plan, but Damon is too dangerous, and Leanne doesn't want to get in his bad books or go behind his back. So good old spineless Nick goes back to Adam and says that they want nothing to do with this. He says he's sick of the stress and has a family to support, and he advises Adam to stay on Damon's good side. Back home, Sarah thinks that now the late license stuff is done, Damon will have no reason to turn up at the law office, and she doesn't sound keen either on Adam's permanent solution idea. So pissed off, Adam goes back to work, where he chats with Dee Dee, who tells Adam about the time that Damon effectively saved Paul's life. Adam finds this hard to believe and suggests there must have been something in it for Damon, and he wants to get some more details, but Dee Dee can't supply them, and also doesn't want to, and is maybe the fifth person to say... Just don't bother with Damon. Just let that situation right. slide. And then she says, maybe I shouldn't have told you this yeah. this fact about Damon because you're obviously taking it the wrong way. Yes. On Friday, Adam is secretly checking out Damon's Friend Connect page. Yes, because he would have known drug dealers and car thieves mm-hmm. in his friend space. Yes. Occupation, drug dealer. <laughs> Height, kind of small. While Sarah mopes around behind him, making suggestions for lunch or dinner and complaining when he doesn't jump for joy or give her a kiss goodbye, she sweetens the deal with that blue dress that he likes, aight? Uh-huh. Dee Dee arrives in the law office and catches Adam going through Paul's file. She's fucking furious, says it's a dead case and she's only doing this to protect Adam from Damon and his gnarly associates. Adam is not Jason Statham, she says, and she makes him promise to keep his beak out of this from now on. No, Adam will not feature in The Meg Part 2. Sarah goes to the bistro and asks Nick and Leanne to look after Harry. How they're doing that at work, I'm not sure. She admits, well, maybe later. She admits that her mess has left things difficult for her and Adam, and having Damon hanging around like a bad smell isn't helping matters. Nick and Leanne pretend they hear her say something else and smile. As Sarah leaves, Damon comes in and announces that he has a meeting with Lindsay Graves at the council to talk about his pop-up plans. I know, Lindsay, says Nick. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) He's off to look at some potential sites this afternoon. Adam, in his clompy-clomp heels, catches up with Paul and quizzes him lightly on the brains behind that insurance scam stuff under the guise that the man behind it all is looking for Adam to represent him. Paul confirms what he knows about Niall, which is his name and a tyre business that he runs with his brother, and he advises Adam to stay well clear. Mm. There's an interesting little part there where Adam is walking one way and Billy is walking the other way, and Adam smiles and nods at Billy, the man who killed his mother. Later, Adam and Damon run into each other outside Dev's and have a very weird passive-aggressive conversation about the pop-up bar idea. Somehow this conversation ends with Adam saying how much he enjoys asking questions as you never know where they're going to lead. What the fuck was all that about, says Damon's face. Seriously. At home, Sarah is about to pour herself into that blue dress and leaves a message with Adam. Adam, as it turns out, is in a dodgy pub, the guns and ammo, and he clamps in and he's clompy clomp heels to meet with Niall and impart some information about Damon Hay. Turns out, Damon is about to throw Niall under the bus, says Adam. They can cock some story about the insurance scam and how Damon is going to grass Niall up to get a reduced sentence of his own. Adam admits that Damon has turned him over in the past too, and he isn't doing the sort of thing out of the kindness of his heart. <clears throat> Niall isn't sure that he believes Adam, doesn't think Damon is the grassing type, 
But Adam says Damon is due to speak to the police tomorrow, so he better make his mind up soon. So Adam meets Damon as he's leaving the bistro and just reveals all of his plan. Yeah, why? <laughs> like, what? What is... What? And I kind of figure it out mm-hmm. by the end that he's telling him this because he doesn't want him to die. He just wants him to leave. And that's the permanently that he's talking about. Right. The, the, Phew. The temp- he means temporary. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He tells Damon that he told Niall that Damon's about to turn state's evidence or whatever on Niall and how Niall is going to boot him so hard in the nuts he's going to end up with four tonsils. Damon <laughs> tries to get Adam to withdraw this from Niall, but Adam says the only way to get out of this is to blow town. So Damon runs away. And he runs to the bistro and dashes into the office. He grabs his stuff and then spies the safe and he thinks about it. He thinks about it for a long second. Next we see him, he's coming out with two bags and he seems hesitant to do the dirty on Leanne and Nick but then seems to do so anyway. Cheerio, suckers. He packs his car, leaves a message for Sarah warning her about what Adam is really like and what he's totally capable of. Damon packs his car, leaves a message for Sarah warning her about what Adam is capable of and then drives off into the sunset with the Happy Mondays oddly playing from his stereo. Meanwhile, Adam and Sarah, who is now in that blue dress, decide not to go out for dinner after all. And they get their hole instead. Yay! Post hole, Adam is, play. is walking around in his unbuttoned shirt and black boxers, seemingly deciding to use Sarah's phone to call for Thai food. <laughs> Sarah wants noodles and rice. That last bout has loosened a couple of fillings, she says. Adam listens to the voicemail from Damon, smirks, and then deletes it. Yeah. And that's how we end this week's episodes. So you think Damon's gone for good? <coughs> Nah, he's too good. He's too good a character, isn't he? Right. Plus, you know, Sarah. Sarah's... Surprise pregnancy. Surprise pregnancy next week, probably. Right. Yeah. So we have it's to come back to that. It's not a spoiler because... It's not a spoiler because... She has to be pregnant. Right. We all knew this. I love how the show is like, shock pregnancy storyline. And we're like, none of us are shocked. You should have shock in inverted commas I'm here. shocked. Shocked. <laughs> well, sh- not that shocked. I'm shocked that you're shocked. Right. Surprise noises. So he can't... He can't bear it this. No, not permanently. If he is, I'd be disappointed. I like him as a character. Now, we talked about whether his turning over a new leaf was just an act. And last week, you seemed to think it was. Are you still of that opinion? <sighs> yeah. He seems super focused on the pop-up idea thing. Which would be... A really easy way to either A, sell drugs, or B, launder money. Remember Zidane and his truck? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not really caring about that aspect of it. I'm more caring about his his willingness to let the whole Sarah thing go. But then the, the only person he calls on his way out of Dodge is Sarah. Sarah. Right. So. Yeah. Because, you know, and he's like, you need to know what Adam's really like. And it's like... Why? She knows what Adam's really like. Right. This is not the first dodgy thing Adam's ever done in his life. His whole uh, license to practice law was dodgy. Right. So his, his entire essence, his entire being is... Right. Or at least was <clears throat> built on a lie. Right. Did you enjoy seeing Adam in his boxer shorts? I was quite surprised that they, that they showed him ways. All the buttons undone in his shot. All the buttons <coughs> undone. And he's... Hairy wee legs. Yeah. I don't know why... We haven't you... seen anybody in their boxers since Ryan. But why would... Which everyone appreciated. But why would they go to Sarah's phone? 
because it's sitting right there out in the open as opposed to digging through his pants pockets to find his own. I, I would guess. still do that. I know you would. <laughs> I would. I don't know the code to your phone. I could guess it. Yeah. But you do know it. <laughs> well, I could guess it. Or you could just put it up in front of my face. Yeah, you need to stick your tongue in, my dear. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm enjoying the whole Nick and Leanne aspect of the story, though. Yeah, they're quite funny. They're they're funny, and and it's very valid that they are kind of stuck between their their partner in the business, who's actually done things to help the business, mm-hmm. and. And their family, because let's all remember, Nick and Sarah are siblings. They have completely made their peace with us. They didn't want this. They're stuck with it. And so they're They've fine made their with, peace it. with it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Leanne especially is just like, you know what? Nobody hates that guy more than I do, but he's our guy now. Well, yeah, but she even seems to have kind of warmed to him, or at least his ideas a little bit. Right. Because she was very sceptical to start with. But now with the pop-up idea, she's like, well, you know, I think he's he's talking good sense here. (sighs) It's just Nick just doesn't have a spine. Well, this is true. (laughs) Nick just doesn't stand up to anybody. Well, he also doesn't want to murder anyone, let's be fair. He doesn't. But when you think of... Of how much drama was generated out of this just a few short months ago when when Leanne found out. She chucked him out, let's remember. Yes. She was, he was persona non grata for such a long His time. His own son disavowed him. <laughs> oh, that's been forgotten about. You know, I'm, for such a long time it, it was the Nick and Leanne show, and it was right. particularly the Leanne show, and all of her stuff, while for the most part really well done, dragged on for a bit right. and then, and then for, the harvey stuff and then when it looked like it was going to end it didn't end and then like, she became a drug someone dealer please just give this woman a vacation right and they did they did and they brought her back and they, they brought her back her and nick kind of low level yeah. and involvement in the storylines and it's just nice to have it them is nice where nothing terrible is happening to, to right. either of them just yes some not pleasant things are happening right. but nothing disastrous is right. happening to them yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's all good stuff. Yes. It's very hot in here. I have a massive headache. <clears throat> so, okay, let's bring this to an end then. And say that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Bernie smacking that ass. <laughs> the thing that I never saw? Yes. That's our moment of the week? Well, that's my moment of the week. What's your moment of the week? And, I'm, and then I will agree with you. Because it can't be Bernie smacking that ass. As much as I love Bernie smacking that ass. I, I and actually, honestly, I can't really think of anything. Yeah, like I said, I wasn't all that taken by this week. It it was, it felt very much like a week off. Things, even though there was big, or there were big things that happened, they were they were played out kind of low key, and it feels like it's a week before. Yeah, it's a something else week. happening. It's right? a bridging week. So, um, I was really liking the the Beck stuff and. The bit where she was asking him about, you know, when I look at you now, I see, I see the same person who has looked down their nose at me and who has belittled mm-hmm. everything about me because of the color of my skin. Exactly, I thought that was that was really well done. 
It was. But I don't know if it was a moment of the week, though. No. Was it maybe Amy and Toya together? Not really. Toya getting to be a counsellor? No. Was it Isabella complaining no. about wine and speaking in Italian? No. Was it Owen with the Ooh. accounts? Oh, yes. You said it wasn't Beck. Hmm. I'm, I'm actually kind of tempted to give it to Paul's real mum. <laughs> Which is your equivalent of Bernie smacking that ass. Pretty much. Uh, is it is it Bernie realigning Paul's chakras? <laughs> he did look really funny with that thing balanced on his forehead. And then her holding the crystals on either side of his head. And the way boy Billy and Dev kind of just... Are caught up short when they walk in. That was kind of funny. That was kind of funny. Um, I, I really liked Chesney telling Paul the reason why Bernie was collecting. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually really enjoyed that too. It was like, finally, Chesney's right about something. Yeah, they're giving Chesney And compassionate about mm-hmm. something, especially something that relates to Bernie. Yep. We, I, I don't... When was the last time we gave Chesney moment of the week? Was it when the quads were born in the gondola? That was a while ago. I can get those stats for you, but it's going to take me a while. (laughs) All right, let's give it to Chesney. Let's give it to Chesney. Chesney weighs words of wisdom to Paul about Bernie. That was really good. It was really good. That's a moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. And it still involves Bernie, so I'm happy. Um, Yeah, Bernie being the mother who is kind of refusing to grieve for her son right too soon right as as very well done i'm really enjoying absolutely yes we love her um is it Stu refusing to go to the library and calling yasmin pet oh yeah can that be sure okay that's it for a moment of the week nicely done oh well that about wraps it up for another week. Then. And spanks it on the bottom. Oh, this wait, e- we're not that podcast. <laughs> this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy and French Helen. Thanks, guys. Ooh la la. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to get in touch. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of boggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review please. on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes, please. And vote on, well, and eventually vote on The List of Lists poll. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk on the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.